0: I'll be reading from Psalm chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Just a reminder that in one week, we're going to begin our gospel meeting with Brother Phil Sanders. He's going to be speaking on the theme, Jesus, our hope. So starting next Sunday morning for our Bible class in the auditorium, Uh, he will be teaching us about that particular theme and then not only all day Sunday but Monday night, Tuesday night and Wednesday night of next week uh, at 7 p.m. Brother Sanders will be here. So this is an opportunity not only for us to grow spiritually because of the lessons that'll be brought, they're going to be enriching to us but also to invite our friends and neighbors. Yesterday morning we had between 40 and 50 uh, of you that came and uh, gathered and went out into the neighborhoods around the building here, um, canvassing. We were taking some invitations and they just hang on people's doorknobs. And we still have some of those invitations left. So if you'd like to go to your neighbors and maybe just hang it on their door or maybe invite them personally, some of those are available for you if you'd like to take advantage of that. Keep this in your prayers and keep it in your plans if you would. We, we really look forward to Brother Sanders being here. And I know you'll be blessed by the lessons that he will bring. Open your Bibles, if you haven't already done so, to Psalm 11, and if you'd like an outline of the the lesson today, just leave your Bible open to Psalm 11. There are seven verses in the Psalm, and we're going to talk about some things that are very practical and relevant for our lives from this particular passage. There was a preacher that went to another town to conduct a meeting, and upon being picked up at the airport, the man who had picked him up started to talk to him about how bad things were getting in society. And he started talking about one issue, and the Supreme Court decided this or that. And he talked about what that implied for the future. And then the preacher seemed to have no reaction. So the driver decided that he'd switch to another topic. Can you believe that this business is doing something that is just completely ungodly, and the way that they handle themselves and the agenda they're trying to push, can you believe they're they're treating people that way? The preacher still remained silent and the car, as it traveled down the road, the, the, the man who was driving was getting more and more frustrated because the preacher showed no reaction. And he decided to talk about one more thing, something that happened to him personally. I've got a friend, the driver said, and this friend is living an ungodly lifestyle and it's so difficult for me because I have biblical convictions and I feel the pressure of trying to hold on to what the Bible teaches and still try to be a friend to this man of many years the preacher still showed no reaction. And the driver had gotten so frustrated, he finally said, don't you have anything to say? Don't you have any kind of response? Look at how bad and how dark things have become. The preacher finally spoke and said, you know, brother, you're right. We are living in bad times, but these are the times we've been given. And it's important for all of us to remember That hope is a Christian virtue. And it's also important for us to remember that despair, despair is a mortal sin. When you read Psalm 11, you'll see that there is something of what the driver in our illustration was talking about, even in David's experience. Psalm 11 is a psalm that was written by David. And the key verse of the psalm is verse 3. Look at it in your Bible. Psalm 11, verse 3 if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? We may be living in a time when it seems like the foundations of morality that have historically, in our country anyway, been the norm, the foundations of what's right and wrong. Those have been upended, they have been virtually destroyed. Our society has jettisoned one form of morality and adopted a new morality, which is really not a morality at all. It's just a rebellion against God. And we're feeling as God's people, the pressure of that. We're feeling the pressure of not being able to say things that historically, historically, we've been able to say in this country and everybody would kind of agree. Things about what marriage ought to be and how it ought to be ordained or things about what is and isn't proper for a person to to participate in. And you can't say outright what you believe about some of these things, at least you feel like you can't. There's pressure and that's what David was experiencing maybe in a different context in Psalm 11 verse three. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? There's a Bible paraphrase that takes verse three and puts it this way what can a good man do when everything falls apart? That's the way the Bible paraphrase renders that. What can a good man do when everything falls apart? And the Bible is saying basically, there will be times in the experience of the people of God, and I believe we're about to live through one of those times where society fundamentally disagrees with everything that New Testament Christianity represents where society takes everything that the Bible says is good and right and flips it on its head and says that is evil and wrong. Isaiah says in Isaiah five verse 20, woe unto those who call good evil and evil good. And the question that the Psalm asks is, what can a righteous man do when everything falls apart? What can the righteous do if the foundations are destroyed? It's important for us to take instruction from the Word of God. It's important for us to remember that these are the times we've been given to live in. And then to ask the question, if this is the time we've been given to live in, what does it mean to have Christian hope in a time like this? And that's where Psalm 11 becomes incredibly helpful and instructive. I'd like for us to talk about faith this morning and what faith looks like in times like these. When the foundations are destroyed, what does faith look like? Can we even have any faith? What does God want his people to do in times like these? Notice, first of all, as you look at Psalm chapter 11, verses one through three, let's talk about the advice that faith hears. Drew read it just a moment ago but let's read again. David begins by saying, in the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Notice in the passage that it begins with a declaration. David is saying to us, I have put my trust in the Lord. He uses the divine name, the Hebrew Old Testament name, Yahweh. In Yahweh, in God, in the Lord, I have put my trust. And in the Hebrew language, it is emphatic. The fact that David is starting this psalm by saying, I've put my trust somewhere definitively, decisively. I've done it intentionally. I put my trust in God. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew word for trust there is a word that has to do with taking refuge or finding shelter. Have you ever been driving in a really, you know, one of these Houston downpours that are just really intense and all of a sudden you'll drive underneath an overpass and all of a sudden the the loud noise of the rain just goes away? That's what it means to find refuge in the Lord. You found refuge under that overpass. In the Lord, I've put my trust. I've looked for refuge in him, David says. That's where I'm going to find my help. That's where I'm going to find my shelter. And as you read through other Psalms, it says, blessed and happy and glad are people who take shelter and find refuge in the Lord. Psalm chapter two, verse 12, for example. Psalm chapter five, verse 11, finding refuge in God is a wise and a correct way to live our lives. So that's how the Psalm begins and then, and then David says, how can you say to me, flee as a bird to your mountain? There's a quotation. Look at your passage in your Bible, it's a quotation, flee as a bird to the mountain. And one of the questions you have to ask as a Bible student is, how long does the quotation last? I've got the New King James translation. And in my translation, there are quotation marks at the beginning of the word flea and at the end of the word mountain. But if you're reading the ESV, the English Standard Version, the quotation goes down to the end of verse three. Or if you're reading the New American Standard Translation, the quotation goes down to the end of verse three. And the question that we need to answer is, how long is the quotation? I believe. As you look at Psalm 11 verses 1 through 3, the quotation is to encompass all three verses. In other words, this is a long quotation and somebody is saying this to David. Who's saying this? It is his friends. You remember when David the king was running from King Saul, Saul was seeking to take his life and it makes sense that some of David's friends would have said, David. You need to get out of town, you need to run, you need to hide, you need to find shelter, you need to find refuge somewhere. Your safety is paramount, David. Make sure you run and make sure you hide and look at what the wicked are about to do, verse two. Look at how they've got the bow already pulled back, they're already hunting for you and as soon as they see you, they're gonna kill you, David. So flee as a bird to your mountain. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? David, this is a hopeless situation. You may be righteous, you may be faithful, but what are you going to be able to do when the foundations are destroyed? When a man like Saul is seeking to take your life, he's the king, he's got the power. That's what's being said in this quotation. And notice back in verse one, as you look at the passage, David says, how can you say this to me? How can you say, flee as a bird to your mountain? And that leads us, as we think about the advice faith hears, that leads us to the temptation. The temptation was for David to run, for David to skip town, for David to find a place and hide away and and make sure that he was safe. That's the temptation. When he's being persecuted, when the enemies of God, when those who would mock him are seeking for David's life, David run, flee, get away. And David's saying in Psalm 11 verse one, how can you say these things to me? There's a temptation. Notice there are three challenges associated with this temptation. The first is there's a dilemma. Brothers and sisters, sometimes when persecution, when the arrows of the enemy are pointed at us, sometimes it is right and it is good and it is proper to flee. Sometimes. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 23, Jesus himself instructed his disciples. In Matthew 10, 23, he said, If someone persecutes you in one town, flee to another. Again. In Acts chapter eight, verses one through four, a great persecution arose against the church at that time, the Bible says, and the people who were members of Christ's church were scattered into the countryside and they still went everywhere preaching the word, Acts chapter eight, verse four, but they fled. On the other hand, sometimes it is right and it is good and it is the best thing to stay right where you are. In Acts chapter 18 verses nine and 10, after Paul had been persecuted in Corinth, Jesus spoke to him directly in Acts 18 verse nine and says, you stay here in Corinth, do not flee, for I have many people in this city. Stand firm, stand still, stand where you are. And so there's a dilemma, what's best? What does God want me to do? You know what we need more of in today's world? We need more ability to discern when it's time to flee and when it's time to just take a stand and stay where we are. In Philippians chapter one, verses nine and 10, the Bible prays, Paul prays for his brethren that their love may abound more and more in wisdom and knowledge and in all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent. It's hard to know sometimes what's right Over the years as a gospel preacher, I've had other preachers call me and they'll talk about maybe situations that they're facing in the congregations where they preach and they'll say, what do you think, Brother John? Is it time for me to move on? Should I flee? I'm going through some really big challenges in the church where I'm working and I've tried my best to do things God's way. What is right? What's best? It's very, very difficult to know. And sometimes the advice one preacher gives Somebody in that situation is diametrically opposed to the advice somebody else gives. What should I do? May God give us wisdom to discern the difference, to flee or to remain. But not only is the temptation about the dilemma, it's also about the source. The people that are giving David this advice are not his foes. His enemies are not mocking him and saying, flee as a bird to the mountain. It's his friends that are saying this. People that care about him, people that love him, people that have his best interest at heart. Sometimes the love of our friends can be one of our most subtle temptations. The fact that the people who love us most may give us advice that is different from the advice of faith. The people that love us and care about us and want our best interest and want what's good for us may say things to us that really are not what's in God's will for our lives. So the source of this advice is a challenge for David. And then the assumption that underlies this advice, the assumption in David's case is, David, your safety is what's most important. That's the number one thing. We gotta keep you alive, David. We gotta make sure that you survive this experience so that maybe one day you will be the king of Israel because he's already been anointed. And oftentimes in our situations, in our lives, We look at what's being threatened. We look at what people are saying to us. We look at the policies and the procedures that our companies want us to sign off on and approve of. Or we look at what the schools are trying to teach us and our young children, and we we see what they want them to answer on the test. And sometimes we think, well, let's just be safe. Let's just do the safe thing. That's what's most important. Whatever helps me to keep my role and my job and my function here, that's what's most important. If that was always our approach though, we'd never take any kind of risk. And isn't it Jesus who said, whoever seeks his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will find it. Sometimes it is God's will that we just stand still and stand firm with courage. There's a temptation there. Safety is not always the most important, the primary thing in our consideration as God's people. How can you say to me, flee as a bird to your mountain? Now, go back to the text in Psalm 11. David hears this advice about what he's supposed to do, what would be best for him. And instead of listening to the advice, notice what verse four does. It turns our attention to the answer that faith gives. His eyes, his vision turn from the problems he faces and from the advice he hears to the God he serves. Psalm chapter 11, beginning in verse four. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup for the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. Everything depends on your vision. When we struggle with the foundations being destroyed and we're tempted to wring our hands about how bad things seem to be, Everything depends on where we put our eyes. And it seems simplistic. It seems like something that just doesn't make a lot of sense. But this is the Bible's counsel. Put your focus on God. Put your focus on who he is. And there are two aspects of God's character especially that are brought up in this passage. In verse 4, David brings up the reign of God. He is seated on his throne. And somebody might say, well, that makes a lot of sense. God is not very much help, it seems, when the foundations are being destroyed, when everything's falling apart. He's distant, he's aloof, he's separate. That's not the point. The point is not that he's distant, the point is that he rules, that he reigns. The point is that he sees all of the things that are happening. There is nothing that happens in the echelons of government or in the back rooms of the big corporations. There is nothing that is happening that is immoral, that is rebellious to God, that he does not see. That's what the Bible is saying. He is on his throne, he reigns, he sees, and we need to see God that way. He is not He is not somehow oblivious to what's taking place. And then notice that his attention, having talked about the reign of God, turns to the justice of God in verses five and six. And it says something in verse five that we need to stop and really think about. Listen again. The wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul, talking about God, hates violence. He is a God who has a hatred for those who do wickedness, for those who are in active rebellion against him. And look at verse six. It calls to mind what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 19, when God rained down fire and brimstone from heaven upon the wicked because they would not repent of their rebellion and their wickedness against God. And the Bible is telling us, brothers and sisters, there is a day of judgment coming. There's a time in which God is going to deal with every transgression, every wrong, and he's going to treat the wicked with justice. It may not be today. It may not be anytime soon. But God sees and God is just. He is a God who is not just, he's not aloof and apart from us and our experience. Rather, he is a God. Look at how the terminology is used in verse 5 and in verse 7. He is a God who hates and he's a God who loves, verse 7. You see that? He's passionate about some things and he sees the difference. He sees what's real in our circumstances. When you look at a football game, I watched a lot lot of college football yesterday. When you look at the stadium, you can tell who the fans of one team are versus another. If you watched Texas and Alabama yesterday, the orange people, those are the Texas fans. The red people, those are the Alabama fans. You can just tell who's who. But when we're living our lives... And people have turned morality upside down and they're saying, this is right and this is wrong and you're wrong if you bring up something different from what I believe. When that happens, it's much more difficult to tell who's righteous and who's not. And the Bible is saying everything depends on your vision. In verse two of Psalm 11, David's friends are all about what the enemies are doing. They're all about what the the people that are opposed to David are about to do to him. But in verse 4 David's all about looking at the one true God. There was a group of missionaries that went into a foreign country and they ended up baptizing a village chief And it came to pass that after many years of service to to the Lord, the village chief fell ill and he was going to need a very risky surgery. And one of the questions they were asking was, is is the risk worth doing this procedure? Because if we don't do it, he's going to die. But if we do do it, this this is a really challenging situation with this village chief. And so they went to the chief and they explained the situation to him. And we we need this, you need this surgery, but we we don't know what the outcome is going to be. The chief said this. In his broken English, he pointed to his heart and he said, Jesus is here, everything will be okay. What David's saying to us in Psalm 11 verses four through six, God is on his throne, everything will be okay. The character of God and the justice of God, that's where we put our hope. That's the answer faith gives. Now look, as you look at Psalm 11, the last line of verse seven, the assurance that faith holds. My translation has it this way, his countenance beholds the upright. But really, grammatically, it ought to read this way. The upright, the righteous will behold his face. Why does David end that way? That's important to ask. Why does he end the Psalm this way? Look at how he begins in verse one. In the Lord, I have put my trust. In the Lord, I have sought refuge. And then at the end of the Psalm, he says, the upright will behold his face. Why does he begin and end the Psalm that way? He begins the Psalm that way because he's talking about an intellectual decision. I've made a decision to put my trust in God. And now at the end of the Psalm, he's talking about an emotional, a heart decision. The one thing I want more than anything else, David says, is to see God's face. That's what I want. And God has promised that when I serve him faithfully, that that's what he will give me. The upright shall behold his face. Why do you serve God? Why do you follow him? I fear that sometimes we choose to follow God not because we love Him but rather because of what He can do for us. Because maybe He can protect us and maybe He can provide for us and maybe He can bring some sense of foundation to our lives and it's not really about Him and about our passion for Him, it's more about the fact that God does things for me and therefore I'm going to keep following Him. And so when David finishes the Psalm with this line, what he's saying to us is, I'm not serving God because of what he does for me. Although I'm thankful and I'm grateful for those things, I serve God because I love him. Because I want more than anything to behold his face. We're not just seeking protection or guidance or wisdom or any of those things from God just because God's promised to provide those things, but rather we're looking for fellowship with God, communion with him, a relationship with him. That's the point. And God has said, if you will seek me, if you will pursue me, if you will come to me, I will one day bless you by showing you my face. Isn't that the hope of the New Testament? Despite all the New Testament has to say about things like streets of gold and palaces and mansions and things like that, despite all of that, isn't the hope of the New Testament the fact that one day we will be face to face with God? Isn't that the point? Jesus says the great commandment in the law is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Matthew 22, verse 37. Love him. Love him. Put him first. Seek him. Seek a relationship with him. That's the assurance that faith holds. That we're living in, and no matter what time in history we live, it can be said we're living in difficult times. We're living in bad times. But these are the times we've been given the hope and the assurance that the Bible gives us is that one day, one day God will deal righteously with all of us. One day, God will deal righteously with those who are wicked and rebel against him. One day, God will deal righteously with those who put their faith and trust and their obedience in Jesus Christ. And one day, we'll see his face. That ought to be the longing of every Christian. Peter says in 1 Peter 1 verse 8, even though you haven't seen Jesus Christ, yet you love him and you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. Inexpressible joy, I've not seen the Lord with my eyes, but I love him and that's what I want more than anything. That's the assurance that faith holds. As you look at Psalm 11 and you look at the advice and the counsel that it gives to people of faith, it is saying this, brothers and sisters and friends in times like these, we need discernment. We need wisdom. Is that what verses one through three tell us? We need wisdom to be able to think about how to respond in godly ways to the challenges that confront us. But it also says we need vision. We need to be able to see who God is and what God has promised to do. And most of all, we need hope. The fact that God has promised that better things are ahead for those who serve Jesus Christ, the best is yet to be seeking fellowship with him. There's help. There's practical, genuine help in responding to our world in that way. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're not a New Testament Christian. This is an opportunity for you to obey the gospel. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. That's how you come into a right, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And we'd love to talk with you about that if you have questions. Or maybe you need to respond because you'd like to ask for prayers. Because you need help, and you need hope, and you need strength, and maybe you need forgiveness. We're happy to pray for you. If you have a public need, won't you make it known while together we stand and while we sing?